I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Jonathan Northcroft of the Sunday Times and David Priest, goalkeeper, columnist, podcaster. Three lines on the shirt... Jewels remain still gleaming. You know the rest. 52 years of hurt and all that. It's that time again when hope meets expectation and hype meets reality. What should we expect from England in this World Cup? That's the question, Johnny. (laughs) Well, I mean, you talk about expectation, Mike. I mean, I, I think that expectations are more realistic than they've been probably my experience of covering England which which stretches back to the the 98 tournament I think the last eight would be accepted and it would be a good result for England um last 16 would almost be sort of par I know that as 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 the tournament gets closer there are a few who are starting to feel those odd flickers of optimism and think about doing more than that I just don't think that's that's realistic at England's sort of level at the moment however you've always got to say that Portugal winning Euro 2016, Denmark, you know, blah, blah, blah. It can happen. England have certainly got players who can damage opponents on their day. They can score goals. Um, but a few things would have to go in England's favour. And, and it would essentially have to be a tournament where the big teams, you know, big heavyweight teams in World Cup terms didn't turn up. So mm. all of that last, last eight, probably penalty shootout. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you look at it from the outside looking in, David, you know, say this team was, I don't know, Peru. You'd think, not bad, but fair to middling. that fair? Yeah, I think we're probably lacking the, the real top um, elite players that's, that can make the difference, you know, once you get into the, to the knockout stages. I think um, England's problem's going, obviously going to be the, the quarter-final where all things are going well. That's, uh, you know, you're looking at someone like Germany in the yeah. last eight. Mm. And, and that's a real barrier to, to any success they're going to have in the in tournament. Yeah, a Germany team you know, can afford to go into a World Cup without Sane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just shows how strong they are. I mean, he's probably been one of the, the top performers of the Premier League this season. And uh, I'm sure he's disappointed. You know, I'm disappointed for him. Yeah, yeah. What about, you know, how do, how do England prove people wrong? Who are the key individuals who have to almost, like, mm. go beyond themselves to, to make England tick? Well, you're looking at the young players and and the thing that maybe gives England hope is that players can develop quickly at at a young age and, and, you know, a big stage, a big tournament or, 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 you know, a Champions League, that that can sometimes just kick someone's development on. So I think they would need Raheem Sterling to deliver 
more goals because he's he, he, he's developed a hell of a lot as a player. He's, he's he's getting in brilliant positions now. I think he's got a good football brain. But if he can add goals to more goals to his his game, I think Deli Ali would need to have a big tournament. Obviously, Harry Kane has to has to shoulder a lot for England. Um, but I also think the the sort of flaws in that England team, maybe at the back and um, in the sort of wide positions, that would would have to be solved by players playing above themselves. So I mean, someone like Kieran Trippier, who's a, who's a really good Premier League player, but would have to become an international class player, or a Harry Maguire, who who you know shows glimpses of of, of what he can do, but also tends to play in defences that concede lots of goals at Premier League level. He'd have to sort of kick on a bit. So there's, as I say, a few things have to come together, but they're young players and young players can develop at speed. Mm. What's your assessment, David, of, of the goalkeeping situation? I think it's probably worked out uh, for the best. Uh, Gareth said that it's it's a statement that he's made by playing uh, Jordan in the, in the game at the weekend. I'd imagine he'd play again on Thursday. Um, he needs that game time needs that understanding when the players in front of him also the, the, the team gelling together you know get more of a, an idea of, of what the starting eleven's going to be when we uh, when we start the tournament but um, when it comes to, to inexperience yes the, there's not a lot of caps there especially in you know with uh, Nick Pope and yeah. Jack Butland as well but also that I think what you'll see now is now that he's, um, Joe Pickford's got the backing of the manager you know we, we've been hit by uh, pressures before and, and you know people not being able to cope with the uh, expectations going into tournaments uh, and, and mistakes happening. What you'll see now from John Pickfield, you'll see him grow. He'll just take on the responsibility and uh, he'll go in stature. And he, he, you can see him on the ball. He, he wants the ball back to him. He's not, there's no trepidation. He wants to be involved. And, and like I said, they don't give up many chances. You know, so you know. I know we talk about um, the saves that Butland, the number of saves that Butland and Port have made this season, far superior to to John Pickford's. Yeah. But that's not what he's in the team for, and that's not what he's going to bring to the side. Mm. You've seen Jordan Pickford grow quite literally. Yeah. Uh, what was the first time you saw him, and, and what did he strike you as? I saw him as a 15-year-old at Sunderland. And you could see that what the one thing that struck you was just his enthusiasm. You know, uh, he, he was always a big talker, always um, yeah, a, a big voice in the side. And then as he's come through the ranks, you know, he's he's probably you know there's been a lot of talk about his professionalism and about his diet, and you know he's hit back at, uh, at things that David Moyes has said there in, in the past. But he did have a problem with that. You know, he didn't have a problem with with training. He didn't have a problem with uh, sort of motivation and, and working hard. He had that. But he needed the other side just where he needed, you know, the gym workers was uh, was what he needed also because of his body shape and also his diet as well. But all that's coming into it now and now you're seeing that all come together. And, um, you know, it, even looking at him at Alfredton Town in the conference, the conference he showed uh, uh, playing against, uh, you know, you know, real men uh, and getting battered every week. But he was coming and he was taking everything. And there was one thing that stood out, and Nick Pope as well, when he was at Cambridge in York. Mm. The two of them had, they just had this this real confidence uh, that he didn't see, and even in the leagues above him. Mm. Uh, he, he came, like I said, he came for everything, even long throw-ins as well. And sometimes, it, you know, it, it cost him a goal or two, but like anything else, like, you know, Grobola in the past, you want people coming in and dominating mm. the box. And that, that's the interesting point, isn't it, Johnny, that this is an England team probably finished off by the Premier League, mm. but it was actually formed mm. by football league clubs. Uh, yeah, you can, you can go through mo I think most of the, the starting 11 now. You'd, you'd say 
Um, if they, they've either been permanent signings for, for football league clubs or even conference clubs, or they've spent you know significant periods on, mm. on loan there, which tells a story about character and personality and maybe how our Premier League academies aren't, aren't really forging that and, and these lads that are, are developing and fighting to the top have started low down, you know, mm. Deli Alley's an obvious example as well. And, um, Pickford Pope, um, yeah, you could, I mean, there's very few that are kind of from the, the gilded mm. scenario. Even Raheem Sterling, who, you know, has played all this sort of senior football at the top level, but, but started off at QPR, didn't he, as a, as a kid? As a kid, yeah. Mm. You mentioned Sterling, so let's mm. have a look at, you know, that really turbulent week that mm. he's had. I feel it's been incredibly unfair. There's been some appalling stuff written about him. Yeah. Why do we insist on putting so much pressure on someone who, as you've already said, is going to be a key player? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I was embarrassed reading it. I was off last week, but I was, I was following it and, and just thought, I'd, you know, we'd, I'd gone back 20, 30 years reading the coverage. I mean, there's, there's a couple of things. There seems to be an appetite, and certainly this is what the public perceives. So whether we as journalists like it or not, there's, an app, there's a perception that, that we go for England players ahead of tournaments. Build them up, knock them down. Build them up, knock them down. And I think that is true. I don't think we can get away from that as a profession. I think there's, there's maybe subtler reasons for that that, 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 that um, maybe the public don't understand. Maybe they think we've, as a profession, we've got agendas against people. I think it's just about selling newspapers. I think what happens before tournaments is it's a very quiet period. The Premier League's finished. Sports editors are, are just mad to get football stories, get them on the back page. And, you know easiest story is somebody that's been on a pedestal, find something negative about them and, and do it. I'm not saying that's right, I'm just saying that's how the industry works. Mm. So I think there's that, but then there's a the more unsavoury aspect of, of, of the coverage of Sterling, which, which I think is, you can't, I don't want to use the word racism simply because racism, using that word tends to stop all debate, makes people react very strongly. But I, I thought there was a lot of stereotyping and, and bullying in the coverage that has been a, a factor in Raheem's whole career and there does seem to be a section of, of um, people in our industry who have a problem with seeing a young, successful, confident black footballer doing well but maybe expressing himself in, 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 in ways that, I don't know, middle-aged white people don't quite understand, which, mm. is, which is a difference in upbringing and culture and so on and it expresses itself in a very nasty way in our press sometimes. Mm. In a strange way, and you know, you've been in enough dressing rooms to, to work this one out, David, it could be a unifying force, couldn't it? You know, I noticed, obviously, Gareth Southgate came out in his favour, but also you looked at the pictures from training. Sterling is centrepiece centre of it. They've got their arms around him, you know, that awful word banter is going on. Uh, is, that, is that likely to happen, do you think? They're yeah. all former... A barrier around him. You've seen that there was, there was a picture of them. Uh, I don't know where it came from, but I saw it on social media. And it was the full team, the you know the backroom staff and everyone, and everyone looked really relaxed. Mm. It doesn't look like there's any sort of you know we've been talking about Lampard, uh, Ferdinand, Gerard, and the, the cliques and the the rivalries perhaps spoilt what could have been a, a great generation of footballers internationally. Uh, you can see that they're, they're not like that. 
I know a few of the a few of the players. They, they're really sort of close off the pitch. They've known each other a few years and uh, obviously played together. You know, like a trippy and walking. And, and it, even there, uh, Carl Walker's social media. You yeah. know, as soon as that came out, you know, he was straight on there and he was he was back in uh, back in his mate and. We know, you know, we, we've met the players and we've, uh, you know, spoken to them privately. And the perception of a of football is often, well, more, most of the time, it's it's different from reality, you know. And um, someone like Raheem Sterling, you know, people see this uh, young black kid with lots of money and they, they they just jump on him straight away. And it's it's not just the fact that. Uh, in one-off isolated instance, people can say it, can defend it, mm -hmm. but it's been a, a, a campaign. And not only that, the most worrying thing for me was that after the, the tattoo sort of uh, you know, debate, it almost as if that was a signal to ramp it up That's again. It. So the next the next day, it, there's something else because yeah. right, we, we, we've got something here. Mm -hmm. Rather than backing off from it and thinking, well, people think this is racist, it's wrong. It was just a signal for uh, to to wrap it up again, and it's that's what's troubling for me. Mm. I think Gareth Southgate has handled it really well, yeah. and that's almost becoming a hallmark of his his regime, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, in, in in a way, it, it allowed him to showcase, I think, one of his best qualities, which is uh, he's just a grown up, sensible human being who is he's intelligent, Gareth. So we were talking about this, Mike, but one of the problems in the in the the Sterling coverage with people's inability to separate the f what's happening on a football pitch and what's mm. what's there in someone's personal life. Um, you know, you, you had columns that were trying to put together the fact he was he was late for training, late turning up with the fact he has a tattoo or, or you know, over the weekend, the fact he dived in a football match just somehow goes back to him having a tattoo, which is, you know, we've got to separate the personal and, 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 and the football. And Gareth's very good at that. So I thought when he came out after the game against Nigeria, and he, he was honest and he said, look, I would have dropped him for, for being late. I was going to drop him. But then <laughs> this happened and then I had to back him. I think he helped separate things out for everybody. And I think he showed really good management because on the one hand, he also let Ryan Sterling know, you know that it wasn't acceptable being late. But I'm also backing you. I think very, very sort of skillful. But it's not manufactured by Gareth. I think that's just how he is as a, as a person. If you think about the crises he's had to deal with as an England manager... He's, he's, he's knocked them all back really easily. And they've been big decisions taken yeah. decisively, aren't they? There's, there's one thing I, I didn't think I would... I didn't foresee myself seeing at this, uh, this junction in proceedings was when he came into the, uh, into the set-up, I didn't think him being his manager would have been a, a strength and a real mm. positive uh, for England. And I think that it's turned out that way. You, know, you look around at all the other countries who have uh, fired managers just before qualification. Yeah. You've got Sam Pauli at, uh, with Argentina who doesn't know his, his best side. He's uh, messed around with formations. Mm. Gareth just, he's come in and... Yeah, yeah of course, it, it, at first it seemed a bit of a beige sort of safe option. Mm. But he seems to be bringing out and yeah. the, the decisions he's making. Mm. You know, the hard decision. I didn't think he would make yeah. that decision, and and, and it showed that showed real strength. Yeah. Do, do you think on that? I was just going to say, well, Hart, the one thing we were speaking with Pickford, but it strikes me that Gareth's got a very good understanding of social dynamics as well. And you talking about Pickford and his personality by taking Hart out of the equation, he allows Pickford to be the number one in a peer group, mm. which is a very different dynamic to if Pickford's there, but he's got 
you know, this guy who's with a great England career, who's a senior pro, who's quite a strong character himself, kind of hanging about in the background. It's little things like that, to me, that show his intelligence, yeah. I think. I think. I think it's healthy uh, in that situation to have a hierarchy. Now, whether there still has to be that um, that competition, which there will be mm. every day. Jack Butland will be wanting to prove himself and, and get himself in the side and, and try and be better than, uh, than John Pickford every day in training. Nick Paul will be the same. Mm. But once you've got that hierarchy, then it's it's kind of like we can get on with things and we can uh, we can help each other. Whereas with, uh, with Joe Hart, I'm sure you would have done that. Mm. I'm sure I'm sure you wouldn't have been a problem at all. But the way I see it is that. Him being there, he's just the he's reminding people yeah. what could what could happen if things go wrong. That could be me, and that's been removed. So I think that's a, that's healthy for the for the mm. three of them as well. Mm. What's his most important decision before the World Cup, Johnny? Is it the defence? I think it is. Um, I mean, there's a couple of things. I think I think he hasn't quite got the wide positions right. If he really wants to make the most of, of a wing back system, then. Obviously, the wing backs have to be as good as possible, and mm. he may have to look at. I think the, the the Ashley Young, Danny Rose is the biggest single kind of dilemma. Two people are quite equal, I guess, but Danny Rose is left footed, which makes an enormous mm. difference if if you want to play that way. I think Alexander Arnold might put some pressure on Trippier. I think mm. he'll make his debut. He's going to play on Thursday, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, and and we'll see how good he is. But I think the the the, the biggest thing to come out of the weekend was Gary Cahill's performance. It showed you. That he is back to, you know, what he has been, which is a very good career, and the value of having someone that's just a bit more experienced in that backline. And John Stones, to me, who is, is a huge favourite at Gareth Southgate, he has not played well enough to, for me, to justify a place in the England team at the World Cup. Neither for England nor for Manchester City this season. We all know how good a footballer he is, but on form he hasn't done it. So that that's the one where. Gareth, he, I mean, he may cop out, he might play both of them, but I think he had Harry Maguire earmarked for that left-sided centre-back role. Mm. So I think if he's really being tough, he chooses between Gary Cahill and Stones, and if he's choosing on form, he chooses Cahill. Mm. Do you agree with that? Before the game <coughs> uh, on Saturday, I'd have put um, Carl Walker, uh, Eric Dyer, John Stones in that mm. back three. Mm. Um, I think it's it, it's a it's a strange one for or strange one, it's a difficult decision for whether if he's playing the one in front whether it's going to be Henderson or Dyer. It looks like yeah, it could be Dyer, yeah. but I think Henderson's had a, a great second yeah. half of the season as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of people complain about the things that he doesn't do instead of just concentrating yeah. on what he, the job that he does for Liverpool. And he can do that again for for England. Um, but you're right, Kay Hill's probably played himself in the side now Saturday, not just because he scored, but yeah. he just he, he looked solid. The only worry for me is that covering down that left hand side. Uh, he's not natural going out, mm. going out and filling that space. Mm. So that's the only problem for me, really. Mm. What about in midfield? Would you start Ruben Loftus-Cheek? No, I, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I, I, Deli Ali's changed my mind actually in the last few months. I, I was frustrated with him early in the season, but I, I like him better as a number eight, attacking number eight, than than a sort of number ten who, who, who thinks he's. You know Maradona or whatever because he isn't, <laughs> and he seemed to be getting a bit carried away with himself earlier on in the se season. But back in in that position where he can attack the box, but he can use his mobility and, and fill in spaces in midfield. I thought him and Lingard looked really good together. I think I, 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 I was trying to remember the game where Ali and Ross Bartley played as two number eights. But whenever England have done it, it's worked really really well. It's almost giving them the old box to box midfielder 
but with some insurance behind them, which is what they never had back in the day. Um, so I would, I would play Ali there, and I would definitely play Lingard because he's been such an important cog in, in, in Gareth's sort of plans and, and, and probably deserves it. But mm. Loftus-Cheek's not a bad option to bring on. Mm. It's interesting. If you look, you know, we talked about looking at, you know, are they going to score enough goals? Kane, Ali, Lingard uh, and Sterling, 91 goals between them in the Premier League. Um, at England level, they've only scored 25 in 17 matches under Gareth Southgate. Is that the area of worry as well? Yeah, and I think the system, the only worry about the system is if they come up against sides who play a 4-3-3 uh, so it makes our back three a back five, mm. and it gets uh, it's difficult then to get bodies forward. Mm. I agree with you about mm. about Deli Ali. Sometimes, especially on the season, he was playing right up next to yeah. to Harry Kane, and yeah. either the ball wasn't getting to him, or he, he, he was, there was no space yeah. for him to, to run into as well. So I think that's uh, that, that's definitely a, where he should play. But um, it's it's just the, the the lack of a real genuine sort of. Um, Creative player who's mm -hmm. got, who can create something out of nothing. Um, Harry Kane, he, you know, give, give him the supply. He can score goals, but he, is he going to get something out of nothing? Yeah. That, that's the only worry for me. Yeah. From, from deeper anyway. I think that's right. That is that's that's a glaring problem with England, which is it goes back to Sterling. I think Sterling's it has to be Sterling's movement that does it. it has to be him picking up those little positions because it's not going to come from a pass, yeah. is it? And and that's the worry. I mean, as good as Raheem Sterling's been this season. It's the, the reasons for that is because where it's come from. Yeah. It's come from a silver. It's come from a De Bruyne. Mm -hmm. And and it's and it doesn't matter how good Raheem Sterling's movement is and uh, his positions are. If the ball doesn't get to him, then it's yeah, yeah sure. You mentioned Harry Kane. You know, eight goals in the last seven internationals. So we can rely on him for a degree of goal scoring mm. ability. What about the other stuff, the external stuff, the captaincy? Mm. How do you think he will respond to that, or is it, does it really matter? No, well, I think it does matter. We'd like to think it doesn't. Um, I know the kind of hipster argument is that captaincy doesn't matter, and I, I go along with that to a certain extent. But sadly, it does because they just get pressure thrown on them. They have to do, you know, just think practically speaking, they have to do more press conferences. They have to sit alongside the manager. They have to be the social convener. So it is a it is a job. It is a burden, and I, I know that. Steven Gerrard felt drained after 2014 with all the duties that it involved. I think Harry Kane, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, he's quite a simple soul. You know, he plays his football, he doesn't worry about much. He's Harry Kane, and I think he'll take it easily. I don't think, he'll, I don't think he overthinks things, put it that way. I don't think he'll worry about the pressure side of things quite so much. Mm. So for that reason... I think it's not about... Because he's not going to be a sort of a Henry V Adjinkle figure, is he? He's <laughs> no, not going to be giving no, it all this. But nor is he going to, nor is he going to, you know, fret or question himself. I don't, there's never been any sign of Harry Kane questioning himself on a football pitch, and, and that captaincy can make people do that. Yeah, but as long as he doesn't, it, it doesn't affect him on the pitch. You know, like, yeah. you know, it, it, there is all those duties got, you, you've got to do. But once you get out there, as, as long as you don't burden yourself with the responsibility yeah. of if it's if it's uh, your responsibility to to win games, or yeah. if you lose, it's your fault. People can get saddled with that and the, and the pressure, but. And it obviously makes it a lot easier if you've got other captains, other club captains in your mm. in your side. I mean, just off the top of my head, you've got you've probably got Henderson who could be yeah. in there. Yeah. Apart from that, chaos Cahill, captain, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Mm. With the group, um, 
it's tempting to say it should be relatively straightforward, but we've all learned mm. that actually with England it's never straightforward, well, is it? It's never straightforward. Uh, I mean, I, I think in, you know, no no World Cup group is is going to be easy. So if you look at all the groups and you try and place England in it, then probably apart from Russia's group, that it, it's as decent a draw as they could get. But I think what people need to be prepared for are two pretty grim opening games for England. Mm. You know, don't expect fireworks against Tunisia and Panama because they're not going to allow it to happen. They're the first game, Tunisia. Is it's going to be a stinker. It's going to be a 1-0, isn't it, yeah. if you're lucky? It is, because they're, they're they're they've organised, they're going to sit, they're going to try and break on England, they're going to create that, they're going to have that slightly different rhythm, that sort of South American rhythm of playing, which will be to slow the game down. And um, You know, they, they, they need to, they, they, they need to be prepared to just be patient and fans have got to be patient at home you know fans have got to be just accept that this might one nil is going to be a decent result mm. but it, you know it, it might be it might be a 1-1 and England will have to win it in, in the Panama game mm. you know people talk about tournament teams don't they you know, we always looked at Germany for instance as a team that grow into a tournament as a player what's the mindset going into say a month long tournament you know are you looking to make that initial statement or is it just a matter of building gradually. It's a fine balance, isn't it? Because if you if you go into it hell for leather and you, you're you know spending a lot of energy on and on getting through the early stages, then it's it's going to pay later on. I always see it like a, it's almost like Wimbledon. Mm. You know, you don't want to be going into five setters in the first few rounds. You know, but at the same time, you just, like I said, you've got to make sure that you're getting through those games. And if it's you're right, if it's one nil, you know, we should be over the moon with that. Whether it's Panama or Tunisia mm. or, or Belgium, it's. Uh, it, it, it has to be a slow burn. You don't. You, it's very rarely you see teams like set or on no. fire. You know, they, they soon burn out. Uh, sort of early in the knockout stages. Mm. Look at um, Tunisia. Only conceded four yeah. goals in qualifying. Yeah. So that tells you the nature of the team, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. I mean, I think they'd be similar to Algeria um, in in two thousand ten. Oh dear, that was a stinker, <laughs> it was wasn't it? It was awful. <laughs> I mean, England. Well, hopefully, you know they'll be a bit more youthful and pacey than they were in that game because that was that was, you know, peak peak Fabio and not in a good way. Mm. Um, I mean, I think what Buffal's obviously a very skillful player. There's there's Kazri who didn't really do that much for for Sunderland, but has had a pretty decent career in France. As I say, they're going to be they're going to be patient. They're going to sit and then they're going to just try and get a little bit of magic from. From one of those players, and and you know they'll play with a lot of pride as well. Those the, the, those North African teams, will, will, like, like we saw with Algeria, they'll see England as a scalp. Mm -hmm. Did you see much of Kazri at Sunderland? Yeah, did yeah. He's uh, he's brilliant set pieces. He's uh, obviously Jordan Pickford will know a lot about him. Mm -hmm. he, you know, he'll know what to expect from him. But free kicks around the box, even um, even from a corner. Right. He's uh, he often tries to score from a corner. I think he hit the hit the post against Manchester United mm -hmm. a couple of seasons ago. And uh, Has Pickford not conceded from a corner. Uh, there, there was one towards a back yeah back stick. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember which game it was. Yeah, yeah but he's uh, he'll, he'll, he'll know what to expect anyway. Watch, yeah. yeah, but they're, they're with um, Msakni, who's uh, who's the the big threat. Mm -hmm. So you know that that's a, a big minus for them, and and hopefully you know they they won't have an, enough to trouble to trouble us uh, defensively. But mm -hmm. I, I still think that that's the the one big worry is uh, is Kazri's set pieces. Mm. What about Belgium? Mm. I just got the suspicion. You look at it. Are they less than the sum of its parts? Yeah, this might be where the group flips for England. That the first two games might be harder than 
is thought and, and Belgium might not be quite as daunting because, yeah, that's a good way to put it, that they've got such great players. We look at we, we know how good attacking-wise that, you know, Hazard and De Bruyne and, 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 you know, Lukaku and so on. But they've never really sparked together. They've never, you've, you, I haven't seen a Belgium game and I'm not saying I've watched all the games, but I've not seen, I'm not seeing um, De Bruyne and, and Hazard sort of sparking off each other and, you know, really looking like a, a, a lethal combination. Um, Lukaku's developed a bit later as an international player. You know, in the last World Cup, he was behind Divock Origi. Mm. So, yeah, he scored a lot of goals in qualifying, but against sort of Gibraltar and so on. Um, they haven't beaten top teams under Martinez. I think they had a disappointing, friendly result. Um, they were booed off. At the, at yeah, the nil-nil. Yeah. It's so, Portugal. you know, there's... there's We've got you've got you've got to worry about them. And going back to one thing we're saying about England's formation, Hazard has got the capabilities to really test England in wide areas. Mertens as well, but they just they might be a bit of an England golden generation two thousand and six kind of setup that they might not be as good as as we think they are. Mm. And England might just need a draw out of that game. Mm. What about Roberto Martinez? Does he convince you, David? Well, more importantly, probably he doesn't convince the, the Belgian players. See that uh, Kevin De Bruyne coming out and saying that they, they haven't found the right system. He struggled in in the side, certainly. So he's probably got a... Not, maybe not an extra grind, but he, you know, he, he wants to, to get the best out of himself and he doesn't think Martinez is doing that. You see uh, today on social media when the, the Belgian squad's released, mm. all the comments underneath, um, not that my French is brilliant, but it's... <laughs> um, it, you know, saying that they, they disagree with a lot of his, uh, his selections. Nangolin was a popular player. Yeah, it, exactly. Uh, Den, people unhappy that Dendogna has been included in the squad. and There just seems to be a lot of negativity around them. And, uh, I mean, I'm not tempting fear, but I, I hope it continues. Mm. <laughs> Do you think they're the modern Holland? Yeah, they, well, they could be. And, and they, they, it's interesting that there's a bit of player discontent with Martinez because it was the same with... Wilmots, I think Hazard had his moments with mm. Wilmots. He was pilloried by the, the press. Everyone got big opinions about the Belgian team, like like they always did with Holland as well. I um, think if, if you've got that many, um, if you've got that many individuals, yeah. great individuals, that, and they're all used to being the stars on their side, mm. then if the manager isn't being accommodating to everything that they need. You're always going to get discontent. So you know. So last time it was uh, as are this time it's De Bruyne owned. And it must be hard for Martinez if 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 you've got Kevin De Bruyne who's you know an acolyte now of Guardiola who's got Guardiola coaching. It's always, anything after that's going to feel a little mm. bit mm. sort of second rate. The fact that you know, Courtois, there's a lot of talk about him mm. leaving. Yeah, Hazard really, you know, the World Cup's a shop window. Chelsea's a, a club oh, in flux yeah. because of Abramovich. Oh. How difficult is it? it? Will that play into it? And as much as that, there'll be distractions for them. Yeah, Alderweireld as well, who, who's his future's, mm. you know, under threat. Um, yeah, I think it does. I know there's an argument that the players will use it as a as a short window and all that kind of stuff. But there's a reason that, that one of the repeated stories you get in international meetups is that international manager A wants player to sort out future before mm. game or tournament because it is a distraction. Mm -hmm. Assuming England get through the group, then you've then got Poland, Japan, Senegal or Colombia, one of those four. You could do a lot worse than that, couldn't you? You could, but I think Group H is probably the most interesting for yeah, me. Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's probably one I'm looking forward to, to, to seeing how it goes because 
Japan are probably the outsiders in the group, but I think uh, the other three sides are uh, much of a muchness. And mm. you, you think Colombia, Senegal, you wouldn't want to, to face either of those. I mean, Senegal, they're, they're full of uh, full of players in established mm. European clubs, mm. uh, a, a good manager as well. Uh, so it, it's it, it's a difficult one, and, and certainly Colombia with it, with the players they have, uh, James Rodriguez and Falcao. Yeah, you know, mm. you, you don't you don't be facing any of those. I don't think. Mm. But all, all roads lead to Germany. Yeah, actually, Germany have got their own problems, I, I think. Uh, it looks like, you know, we're talking about Sané not being included. It, it does look like Wacom Lowe is, is very loyal, understandably, to his old guard. They've, created, they've done so much in football. But, you know, Mesut Ozil, Sami Kadira, even Hummels and, and, and so on, are they, are they at the level that they were four years ago? I'm, sure, I'm, not gonna, I'm sure they've got the hunger because these are top professionals, but are they just at the level? Um, we've seen in their club careers that they, they might not be. Mm. So, you know, that German team, I think, needed the likes of Sané. I know they've got Goretzka, who's Kimmich, they have got young blood, but there's a danger that they'll they'll just be a bit past their sell-by date. Mm. Still be England, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's not England, who's going to win the World Cup very quickly? I'll go for Brazil. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Brazil or Spain in the final, but probably Brazil. Well, I've got a hunch it will be France. Youth, pace, adventure and big players with something to prove. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.